Welcome to Say That, the podcast where you give me questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in Sioux, Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Feels like we've been here before. <laughs> it feels like I tried to say three different words in the way I normally do the intro, and it all horrifically fell apart. Also joining us is Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. Well, I'm just happy to be here. Once again, we are missing regular co-host Lee Younger, who is still at Young Life's Sharp Top Cove, they forgot to let him on the bus back. Wow. Or we batch record these, really whichever's funnier to you. But we soldier on bravely in his stead. We've got... Under uh, protest, etc. <laughs> it's, it's, it's basically parliamentary procedure at this point. Just kind of one of those things where, you know, it's, it's one of those things that like in French co- co- country law where no one knows why the mayor has to go let a goat out of this pen every year. But eventually uh, we'll just charge tourists to come watch the, uh, you know, the, the whole thing of Glenn going under protest. The descent of the gentleman from Texas is noted. <laughs> Indeed. And noted. And we moved on from, that's a great question. We'll close you out with a song at the end of the do. But first I must declare a hopefully very profitable emergency. Oh, I love profit. So um, before we, uh, before we uh, turn on the mics here and I attempted our intro for the first time that went really down in wreckage. And then we did the one you heard. Um, Jed and I were regaling Glenn who somehow missed this because he's been on vacation and does not check social media as often as we do, making him a sane and morally superior person. Totally. We were catching him up on the WeWork. Yeah. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, bless you. And I, Oh, how I envy you. WeWork is a uh, company that decided what we're going to do is buy up buildings and then charge people to have offices in them. It's an old business model. Quite. But here's the part where they did it. They start, you know, starting up, they're disrupting. Mm. They put their own spin on it. Okay. And their own spin was somehow losing hundreds of millions of dollars doing this. <laughs> wow. That probably hasn't been tried before. No, it's, it's a whole... Everybody else wanted to make money. Yeah. What if we just hemorrhaged it so they lost hundreds of millions of dollars they uh tried to put forth an initial public stock offering which went so badly they just had to say never mind we take that back (laughs) and here's the fun part uh due to selling some stock to the bank that funded them the guy who founded it still gets to be a billionaire yeah even though his big thing was founding a company that functionally no longer exists and did nothing but set money on fire yeah so Obviously, look at that and say, "Well, how do we get in on this?" Yeah, I'd like to get in on that. Totally on that. And then, as we as we want to do, and because it's it's an easy easy target, we thought, you know, who loves to be grafted? The Christians. Yeah. So we got a thing that had no substance. Yep. But had some buzzy catchphrases, and you know, uh, a shiny veneer, and that made us think, church. Yeah. Yeah. So we got the we the we work didn't quite happen, and they tried to do like some like. We live. They tried to like cohab. What is this nonsense? But we don't think they got around to the We Church. Ooh. Oh. So you could just, uh, you know, you sign up and you you could have like a church. It could it could just exist for like two weeks. Sure, absolutely. Like a micro church. Yeah. Yeah, like pop up church. Yeah. Which very you, hip. Yeah, you could do that in like uh, your living room. You could have a house church, and then it wouldn't cost you anything, and you could uh, you could make donuts, Glenn, and stuff. Glenn, Glenn, you're not getting the vision at all. I, I'm not. <laughs> you need to essentially accomplish nothing, set massive amounts of money on fire, but in the end, everybody agrees we're business geniuses because for some reason, because we're white guys with confidence. That's why. Yeah. Oh, like we could do it anyway and be legend. That's hey, right. Hey, You've go. got the idea now. Now, now, when we eventually pitch the tickets for the Say That Festival, forget that Glenn said that. It's right. going to be great. We have all sorts of FEMA-approved tents <laughs> for you people to come stay in in the winter in Chicago. It's going to be fantastic. But, Jed, I fear that Glenn is not catching the vision. I don't think he is. So, uh, shepherd us through this. Start us off, with because all I have is the buzzy name, right. which is apparently all you need right. to get a billion dollars. But uh, if we're going to put some bones on that, what's yeah. what's the We Church pitch? Gentlemen, here's what we're going to do. We're disrupting church. Whoa. Okay. Be like that one time when my cousin started yelling during mass <laughs> that she was bored. 
<laughs> she disrupted that church, y'all. That's being disruptive in church. Oh. That is different from disrupting church. Is that like someone who has like IBS and they think, you know, they're, you know, you know what I mean? It's like you had too much chili. Again. You think like, well, you know, lots of beans in that chili and then. That is causing a disruption in a church. Directly to flatulence humor. (laughs) Really, Glenn? Is that what we're reduced to when Lee isn't on this show? Just the podcast equivalent of the campfire scene in Blazing Saddles? (laughs) Now, here's the thing. Here's what we're looking at. So, as you rightly point out, with WeWork, they were, in essence, landlords. All right? Right. And that's that's what they were, which is kind of a hard thing to screw up. But... I propose that we become, wait for it, prepare yourselves, get ready to be wowed, church lords. I like the sound of that. I think that job's already filled. Church lords, gentlemen. I I don't know what it is, but it sounds great. This is what we do. We set up houses of worship. Okay. What are they worshiping? Who knows? Who cares? Okay. We set them up, and we make them look good. Okay. I'm talking about all the lasers. Whoa. Not some of the lasers. Any chump can have a house of worship with a couple lasers. I'm talking about the best, the brightest. I'm talking about lasers that will sever your optic nerve if you look at them. Well, that, right. that would be... Seems like a legal liability. I'm rolling! Let, Stay with let it! Let me ask you a question. Okay. Can we work holograms into this? Of course! Can we work in a hologram of the pastor? Yes. Who's not there? Oh, obviously, we can do that. Yeah. He's a Luke Skywalker style force Cause, ghost. Because he's, he's uh, what do you call them? Uh, Mega churches, they like broadcasting it onto a screen when the pastor's not even there. That's right. You well, can do that with a hologram. What we're going to enable you to do is to pay week by week an exorbitant, exorbitant sum so that you can have a pop up church with holographic pastor and eye gouging lasers, and it's We Church. Well, okay. You're not catching the vision, though. Okay, I, I, you are not catching, not the, catching vision. the vision. He will if one of those lasers gets in his eye. The free LASIK when you come to church this morning. So I, I like what, what Jez laid out here. Now, let me let me tweak a little bit. We're brainstorming. Okay. All right. Blue sky thinking. Um, so there, there's the end consumer. Right. But that's not where you make the money. Because, you know, we, we work and Airbnb and Uber and all these things. They, 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 will tell, they will certainly tell federal regulators that they don't have anything to do with the end consumer. Right. They're creating a platform. That's right. Okay. Through which uh, you know, people can connect with the technology of the time and the day. Um, and then you, uh, you would, as a federal judge recently said to someone who works for uh, Uber's legal counsel, who was trying to convince them that uh, the drivers are not critical to their business model. Okay, but what if there were no drivers? And, I, and the lawyer responded, and I quote, that would be suboptimal for us. But we're creating a platform that connects the people with the whatever, and then we take all the money. Right. That's what we're doing here, Glenn. Right. I need to catch a vision. Okay. So, and Jed, but Jed's talking about the end consumer. That's, that's Jed's, Jed's a bit limited in his thinking. That's okay. Right. You know, that's really true. Okay. So you're well, going to take this to another level. I'm saying, here, here's who we're, we're aiming this at. I mean, we know many of these people. Pastors. Oh. oh. You say, the pastor looks around his church now. It's like, well, I, was, I got a couple lasers, but this is when we show them we church. like, we got all the lasers. Okay. Now, it's not the people paying us. Pastor deals with people. Right. Pastor plunks down that money for that sweet, sweet We Church setup. Yeah. And right. he's in the same building. He's just in the back, but we hologram him out there anyway. Right. So he seems like a big shot. Yeah. 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 We could, let me, let me ask you this question and stop me if I'm blowing your mind. Can we hologram the audience? Oh, oh, I love it. I, mean? I love where this is going. Pastor comes out, it's a full house. Oh, I like this. I think we can take it even bigger and better. We've all heard of crowdsourcing, yeah. where a bunch of people you know, pitch in and give a couple of dollars. I'm talking about sourcing a crowd. Oh, we church, yeah. you pay us. And there's a crowd of people there on Sunday morning. Oh, we're essentially describing a, a, a version of a, a fantasy kind of, you know, where you, you like middle-aged guys get to go like do spring training with the diamondbacks. Yeah. We're, we're that, but for pastors. Yeah. 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 You pay us and you've got a crowd and you know what that crowd is saying? Would you exegete? 
That's what we're here for. Well, as we've pitched before. They can just chant, tulip, tulip, tulip. <laughs> but it's for our friends and pastors, maybe our, our, our friends who like to frequent the coffee shops and think the deep thoughts. We, you know, there's the idea of you create the, the hologram famous person and they perform for you. Mm-hmm. So Tupac, Prince, whatever, you know, they make the hologram and it forms the crowd. Now we've pitched before, and I think this is exactly in the WeChurch brand of we create a holographic C.S. Lewis yes. who listens to you talk yes. and makes very interested faces at the thing you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I think we got a hit. Yeah. Because this, you can just charge any amount of money you want for this. Yeah. People are going to want it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you could get, I mean, let me, I've seen like they do this on the, on the, uh, on the movies where they glue a bunch of stuff to a person's face. You could make up a person in life yeah. that looks like C.S. Lewis. And he is just, it, this is what, because you, what we do is we give you a menu sure. of, of options, right? So, for example, at the top would be like a guy dressed as C.S. Lewis who sits on the front row. And at some point in this, you know, sermon that you're putting out there, he says, I never thought of that. Yes. Yes. And that's like, that's just the, the ultimate. Yeah. yeah. You, you're like, wow. I mean, that's a premium service. That's a premium yeah. service. And not only has C.S. Lewis thought of that, the guy playing C.S. Lewis has thought of that too. <laughs> Yeah. But you don't have to know that you don't. We don't, it's an illusion. Sure, you know absolutely. You know, so that's you know, we we let it go. I think that's that's very high end. If we want to, this is leaving the the we work ethic behind a little bit. We want some 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 more attainable tiers. Yeah, I think we can hire actors to mm-hmm. pretend that uh, your sports analogy was really really good. Yeah, and that in a lot of ways, discipleship is like a suicide squeeze. And I never thought about that before, and that changed my whole thing, man. Well, I think what you want to do there is to hire women who lie and say, I totally get what you were going for with that sports analogy, Pastor. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, okay. I was worried. Yeah. But now I don't have to be. That's a nice thing. Let's add this to the menu. Okay, so it is literally true. I'm not joking. I A long time ago, I actually did work in the, in the tech sector, and particularly around startup companies. And you go to a lot of um, conferences and whatnot as part of this. And no lie, there I was at one where a company paid a Bono impersonator to come in and walk around. Oh, that's in order, Yeah. That's just ge- an Irish guy in sunglasses. To generate interest. But now here's what I'm saying is, now I, we, we've established that I know nothing about sport. So I need real quick... One of you to give me a sermon thing that's going to have to do with something LeBron James would do. Oh, uh, he, could, he couldn't win a championship by himself. He had to go where there's a good team. That's community. Perfect. There you go. Love it. Okay. So one of the services we church offers is you deliver that. It's just like LeBron James. He couldn't be just the one guy. He needed a whole team, and that's community. And then a LeBron James impersonator walks in and oh. says, whoa, that's a great point. He's so right. And then walks back out. The thing is, people, and this was true at the tech conference, you kind of know that can't be the real LeBron James, but it could be. Let me ask you a question. Could this be guy be aggressively short? <laughs> <laughs> just just a you five know, foot eight guy in a LeBron jersey. Yeah, yeah. Just in the jersey. He's got the socks and the, the everything to be like really freak people out. Like, I think that was LeBron James, but I always assumed he was way taller than Whenever that. I see him on TV, he's always standing with other basketball players. I don't have a frame of reference. That's right. Well, here's what's great about this, right? Is It is true that a lot of media promotion boils down to trying to give something a manufactured appearance of success in the hope that an organic success that is that is real will grow up around it. Right. I mean that that's actually true. It's the old uh, the old uh, thing about them paying people to scream at like the Beatles and whatnot, and then eventually people start to start screaming because that's what you do. Exactly right. Exactly right. The, with that in mind, the thing to me is we're describing all of this as comedy and outlandish and whatnot. I can see churches doing every single oh, yeah. bit of everything yeah. we've described. Well, as ever, churches do this; they just don't do it effectively <laughs> or efficiently. They don't just pay a rich person, they get Justin Bieber to come to their church, and then they leak that to the reporter who comes and writes a thing about Justin Bieber's pastor. And it's all it's all a bit roundabout. Yeah. That's that's my problem with it. I like directness. Can we get a holographic 
Justin Bieber. Of course. Sure. I, can you prove that the one we all see now isn't holographic? That, okay. Well, let me ask you this, and just tell me if I'm going off on a uh, on a you know just a left turn here. Sure. Could we have the holographic? Because you got your mini Bieber, right. I mean, or you got your mini LeBron. Sure. sure. Could we have a holographic Bieber twice the normal size? Of course. Oh. See what I'm saying? Yes. I don't know why, but I just think that would be great. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh. could, to, 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 to play this back to the church thing, we have the holographic pastor. Right. He's in the room. He doesn't have to be a hologram, but we just right. it just makes him feel technological and whatnot. Yeah. And the more people appreciate his sports analogies, he grows physically in size. Oh, yeah. Oh. Can't just... Again, I, I'm, I'm. This is a safe space where sure. there's no judgment. You're engaging with the concept, and we appreciate that. Okay, can we make C.S. Lewis into a very, very tiny Tinkerbell size, and he's flying around? Oh, C.S. <laughs> Lewis sits on your shoulder and whispers wisdom to you Come during your on, sermon, dude. How much would you pay for that? What What's that, C.S. Lewis? Oh. <laughs> That's that's a great point. You know, grace is good, ladies and gentlemen, well, and you, that's why you come to this church. But you know, like the Peter Pan thing, it's yep. like you got to clap so the, the Tinkerbell doesn't uh, croak or whatever. There, the story, <laughs> I can't remember the story. I don't but. think the I don't think the Disney version puts it exactly that way. Yeah, you know, it's a manipulation. Sure, you have to uh, you know respond, or or the little fairy gets it. Right. Okay. What yeah. I think I think our deal with Disney Plus is not going to go through now. Yeah. C.S. Lewis is going to take it. Yes. I mean, he is going to buy the dirt farm. You know what I yeah, mean? This yeah. guy is going to He's going to be pushing up daisies. Right. You right. follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you don't clear. put the money in the plate and you just have a you you and you play the music and you send out the plates and stuff yeah. for people to do the offering and just the Tiny holographic C.S. Lewis is flying around and just moaning. <laughs> oh, 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 hey, please. Oh, yeah. this, this is yeah. taking a dark turn. So, I mean, just it's a safe space where there's no judgment. So, well, <laughs> we'll see. But it does remind me of, and we'll close out on this one of my favorite stories I've ever heard of Glenn Tell. And this is years ago, he's working with a juveniles at a facility here in Chicago and there would be like uh, teams of churches would come in and volunteer to do like the Sunday service. And uh, they would all, because this is just church people to a T would want to do an invitation at the end of everyone. And Glenn noticed guys he had worked with who he knew had accepted the Lord going up to, uh, you know, say, say the thing during the invitation. So he worries that this is a, a theological misunderstanding that they're trying to, you know, recommit or they think you, you can lose your salvation. So he talks to them and says, well, guys, just we're clear on this. And these underage criminals respond, yeah, we're all saved, but the first time they came and they did an altar call and we explained that we were all saved and they looked so sad. So now we just all go up and they're so happy. Yeah. So if you think you're the ones manipulating, but also I feel like this is the kind of spirit we need to harness and put we church out in the world. I think maybe that's where we work failed. They just built buildings that come to us. That's a terrible idea. Right. Whose business model would be that? Just right. we build a building and that's how things work. We want to mm-hmm. implant things that go out into the world and, you know, affect a little change. Give now or made up holographic C.S. Lewis gets it. <laughs> str- and I think if you went to a meeting in Silicon Valley, you could get a couple hundred grand for that just so you'd stop saying it. Yeah. <laughs> and on that, I declare emergency off. Well, one thing that's not a startup at this point, we're doing it for some seven years. It's, it's a bona fide success, and that's a bridge box. You get oh, sermons, yeah. songs, Bible studies, all sorts of great stuff based on a topic. We're still in the month of November. We're looking at what happens when things don't get better. And you can sign up for that at missionusa.com slash bridge box. Get involved for yourself. It's no we work, but it does, uh, you know, it does continue to exist. So we got that going for us. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. Hang us all the way to the end. I get some ways to get in touch with us, or you can scroll down into your episode description and find the links there. First question comes in anonymously and says, I need God to set me free from self-destruction. I need to get my health and my relationships right. How do I stop destroying everything? 
And Glenn, a, a fine question. And if you're destroying everything, it's a question you probably should be asking. So where do we start? Right. Well, uh, hopefully uh, you're, you're, there's a few things left that haven't yes. been totally Hopefully destroyed. you do mostly mean metaphorical destruction and you're not stomping around on things. Right. Uh, first of all, um, I actually want to congratulate you for having the desire to make a change. And, totally. And recognizing that you need to do that and... It's good to reach out and and ask for advice on these things. And uh, you know, when you talk about uh, self destruction that's going on in your life, that's something we all do. And it's kind of crazy to think that, and maybe that's why we don't think of it in those terms. But we all do things that make our our lives a little bit worse, and and some of us do that on a very habitual basis in certain ways. It could be something as relatively benign as eating a bit too much or you know, not getting enough exercise or, you know, not having a good attitude about work or something that's causing us to not, you know, do well in that environment, whatever it is. Uh, but we have all kinds of tendencies, all of us do, that that can be part of a potential downfall for us and have been a downfall for us in the past. Here's the thing. We can't fix any of that unless we can take a clear-eyed view of it. And the thing about making big fat mistakes is the last thing you want to do is think about it. And there's part of you that says, well, I wouldn't be able to deal with, if I looked at this, it bummed me out. And if it bummed me out, then that would just set the cycle going over again because I'm already feeling bad about it. I'm already, whatever, I just want to move on. I just want something positive to happen so I'm not depressed about this anymore. And I get that. And I, it, it's not a craven uh, thought or something like that. It's, uh, I, it, it, there's a positive intent that's in there. But here's the thing, is that if you get in denial about how this happened, you have no real chance of breaking something that's a consistent cycle over and over again. The good news is, if you do understand the nature of that cycle, just understanding it and what's driving it, it's already half broken. You know, you've, you've really... Uh, taken the the big oomph out of this problem perpetuating itself when you know this is why I'm doing this. So we have to take a clear look at it. Here's the other thing. Simple question. Do you love you? I, I, that's easy to kind of gloss over as a touchy-feely kind of a thing. Do you actually love yourself? If you don't, uh, it's going to be very hard for you to make changes. It really is. It's it's a tough thing to say. Um, I, in other words, if I say I am a worm and I am a bad person and I'm a jerk, then how do I change that? That's pretty tough. I mean, yeah. because I'm yeah. saying my essence is something awful. If I say I'm a good person, I care about people, but all this junk is choking it out and i've got to get rid of this junk this and it might be sin it might be stuff from my past it might be guilt it might be shame who knows but god has made me to be something amazing and i need to start with recognizing that amazing thing because that's what will allow me to see what needs to get out of the way of that amazing mm. thing real quick story uh, there's a gal who's in our, our ministry we're working with her and um, she had one of the most horrible lives I've ever heard of. She got uh, grew up in a sexually abusive home uh, over many, many years of, of dealing with that. Uh, she became addicted to drugs and addicted to the point where she was so far gone, she actually ended up in a mental facility. She just Her mind had cracked completely. Um, she did okay there, and they put her into a residential drug rehab facility to deal with the drug issues. She did amazing within that. And just, I mean, the level of transformation is literally the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. And I asked her once, I said, you know, with all of the sexual abuse stuff, with all of the, it, she actually at one point was a prostitute, which I just can't imagine what that might do to set all of this off. And I said, you know, how do you overcome that? How do you get to a place where you, you deal with that? And she said, I wake up every single day. I have a, in my apartment, I have a, a full length mirror and I stand in front of the full length mirror. I look myself in the eye and I say to myself, 
I am beautiful. And she said, I stand there and I repeat it until I believe it. And I do not start my day until I believe it. Hmm. Now, I don't, I don't have that mechanism inside me to just, that would never have occurred to me. That is truly remarkable. Here's what I'm trying to tell you about that. Try that. Yeah. You will see how unbelievably tough that is to do. Because we think as Christians, hey, you know, it's better if I think I'm not a good person because then that's going to spark some change here. I'm telling you just the opposite. I think it's important to be able to look past um, the bad stuff that you've done to say, what is the good thing inside of me that God has working in me that needs to come for him? Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic place to start this off. And Jed, I'd love to get you to to jump on this there, because I think exactly what Glenn is pointing us to is that kind of introspection that's going to be very important. But we don't even know to, only need to do that about ourselves. I think it's also important to do that about our situation yeah. in the sense of, you know, say I, I am destroying everything as, as we kind of joked about at the beginning. That's probably not true yeah, yeah. in the sense of everything, everything, but also I think there's a tendency to, when we are in a place, be down on ourselves, look at say, there's a lot of bad stuff happening and I am bad. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's true. So I must be the root cause of all these problems. And what might we find if we take a little bit closer look at that? It's a great question, man. I I think most of us have been in seasons where, at the very least, the emotional reality is everything in my life is going wrong right now. It's very rare that literally everything is going wrong. But again, I think most people have had at least a season where it felt that way. It felt like everything that can go wrong is going wrong right now. And if you struggle with your self-image at all, and kind of even if you don't, the first instinct of everybody in those moments is to figure out who's to blame for this. Who do I, you know, where does the blame land? And the easiest person to blame is always you. Always. So I think for a lot of us, it's, it feels like everything is going wrong. It's probably all my fault. And then we get into the sense of, okay, so I'm just ruining everything. But just by the math, just by the numbers, the odds that all of it is principally your fault is pretty low. I mean, and, and I'm not saying that because I want you to feel better about yourself. I'm just saying it because, again, by the numbers, that's almost certainly true. It, we deal with all kinds of crazy stuff, and it's very rare to meet a person where every bad thing in their life is principally their fault. It's just very uncommon. What you're likely to find if you dig into it is some of it is your fault, principally, and some of it is not your fault, principally. But without looking deeply, your guesses on what is what are n- not necessarily likely to be accurate. You know, so I'll give you, we were talking about this, uh, we, we looked at this question at the bridge uh, recently, and we we're talking about this before the service. And so two examples, right? So one is um, my relational life is a shambles right now because my partner cheated on me. Everything's falling apart. Also, my job, uh, I don't have one because I got in a shouting match with my boss and I was fired. For a lot of the folks that we work with at the bridge, if you were to ask them, which of these two do you feel like you are principally the person responsible for, they would, in general, invert them. They would say, well, look, my boss, he talked to me in a way where I just couldn't, that you just can't. So I had to cuss him out. That was the only, so, I mean, a bad thing happened, but that's certainly not my fault, which, no, that's your fault. You cussed out your boss and you got fired. That's how that works. Where and on the other side, I think a lot of the folks we work with would say, "Oh, well, they they cheated on me, but that's that's but must be because I was just bad and and awful." Without a sense of no cheating is about the cheater. That's not on you at all. That's that's on the person who cheated. So, by the numbers, it's extremely unlikely that everything would be your fault. But I think it's worth noting that your instinct of what would and wouldn't be your fault, if you started to catalog it, would not necessarily correlate to what's actually true. So. This all leads us to exactly what Glenn is describing, which is we need to look at this stuff. There's such a temptation when life is not going well to say, the last thing on earth I want to do is to actually look at it. If anything, the the thing I want most is to be distracted and not think about it and run in the opposite direction. But the way forward is looking at it, is looking it full in the face. And what we'll discover is that not all of it is your fault. Some of it is principally on you. Some of it is definitely principally on others. But one other thing happens, which is of unbelievable importance. You need to know what the failure mechanism is. 
you need to know the actual um, mechanism, the actual process that allowed each of these things to fail and to go wrong. When something really tragic occurs, like a, a plane crash, they dispatch a team of engineers and scientists to, on a molecular level, look at how this happened. What went wrong that this plane fell out of the sky? That's a good thing. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we wind up with more durable jet engines. This is a valuable thing. The same thing applies in our lives. The more we understand what went wrong, the specifics of, you know, yes, I cussed out my boss and I got fired. But what led, to, what led to me cussing out my boss? Was this, I was cranky because I didn't have enough sleep? Was this a pride issue in my life where I just, it's so hard for me to have a person talk to me in a way that I don't like? Was this, my relationship had just tanked because my partner cheated on me and that led me to a place of feeling emotionally wounded and then this was just one thing too many on top of that? The more that we can understand it, the more we can learn the more that we can grow from it, the more we can prevent it from happening again. But this is the critical part. The more that we learn and get wisdom, the more that all these things going wrong can actually be, begin to be building blocks for a better life. Instead of being purely disaster that we wish desperately hadn't happened, they begin to be things that we can actually get something good out of. We can actually begin to redeem something out of them, which is a miraculously good thing, but that only happens if we're willing to look it full in the face and learn how it happened. That's totally true. These guys both gave you some... Excellent stuff on that. And there's a, another point I throw on in the end here. You know, you, you specify some things in the question of I need to get my health right. I need to get my relationships right. And it can seem when you're particularly in the headspace that these guys are talking about of I'm, you know, causing this destruction. I am, I'm, I am my own worst enemy and all that stuff. It can seem like the, the number one thing you need to do is be hard on yourself. Oh yeah. And the number two thing you need to do is be in a hurry to unscrew all this up. And here's what we can tell you pretty categorically is both of those things are going to make it worse. I think Jed did a great job there lining out why being hard on yourself is going to make it worse. Uh, so I'd like to talk about being in a hurry for a second. Um, we, we, when we did talk about this for the bridge, my example was um, when I lose my keys, which happens fairly often, um, I never find them until I have gotten through the period of uh, running around and swearing and cursing myself and you know my parents are bringing me into this accursed world and then i get to a moment where i think this may be a bit dramatic and i take a deep breath and i think there are my jacket that i hung up and for me a lot of this stuff is a lot of life is really just trying to squeeze down that amount of time between finding out that i've lost my keys and taking a deep breath and figuring out where they might be and i use this in this example because that feeling of i am causing destruction i, I love that example that kind of imagery you use in this question because it can feel like I'm just doing everything wrong and I need to get in the other direction as quickly as possible. And as quickly as possible is when you end up falling over and literally destroying things. When those of us who are of the era to remember the Chris Farley uh, SNL bit where he falls through the kitchen, falls through the living room table. That's what happens when you get going yep. way too quick and trip over your own feet. So when you're in these, these times where you, you feel like you are causing problems, when you feel like all these things are stuff you need to fix, I know it is counterintuitive that these guys are telling you that you need to look at something because that's the last thing you'll look at. It's certainly counterintuitive to say you need to uh, get to a point where you love yourself. Those things are both true. And a third counterintuitive thing that is absolutely true is you almost certainly need to engage some slowness and some yeah. stillness yeah. in order to get where you want to go on this. I know it feels like you need to go a thousand miles an hour because you're so far in the wrong direction. But believe me when I tell you that taking a moment, taking a deep breath, and work starting to go back to the right direction slowly will actually bear some real results on that. Okay, we'll move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously and says, I want to do God's will and no other, but how do I know what is God's will and what is my will? And Jed, I believe this is one of the great philosophical questions of Christendom, so uh, if you can knock that out about five minutes or so, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm going to get right on it. Well, it's a great question. I, I have a question back for you, which is, do you know what your own will is? Because I imagine you don't, actually. I think... I, I know that it's wicked and pernicious. Is that enough? <laughs> no, it's that's not enough. Oh, then I'm out. Yeah. 
I think very few people have a sense of what their own will is, and and very, very few Christians. And I think that it's worth separating the idea of your urges and appetites from your will. Those aren't the same thing, just just functionally speaking, you know. And we're actually going to use Glenn as an example on this, because I think he's I think he's a good one. So if we take ourselves to, you know, maybe, you know, 20 year old Glenn and we say, well, what are your what are your urges, man? Well, he'd say rock and roll and the rock and roll lifestyle. Right? Absolutely. And the thing is, even 20 year old Glenn knew a, a couple of things. A, that's almost certainly not going to happen. Correct. Um, and. <laughs> It probably wouldn't be good for me. Uh, And, I mean, Jesus probably wouldn't be super in favor of it. Right. So, but if you want to know what my urge is, what my appetite is, rock and roll and the rock and roll lifestyle. Absolutely. Okay, but that's different from saying, okay, uh, 20-year-old Glenn, what is your will for your life? Well, actually, I know Glenn, I know story pretty well, and I think that around that time, uh, Glenn was an education major Mm -hmm. and uh, wanted to teach school. Uh, maybe teach history, something like that. And here's the thing about Glenn is he's a really good teacher. He's really good at it. He Absolutely. likes doing it. Um, he has, with all kinds of things, but with history, he has a passion for it where he can really make it come alive and whatnot. He would do good at it. The students would love it. Um, it would be, it's an honorable profession. Oh my goodness, do we need good teachers? Um, it's beautiful. It's lovely. That's That's Glenn's will for his life. So let's pause there for a second. We have an urge and the urge is rock and roll, yeah, right. which we can judge it. But what do we get out of that? Right, um, right. Glenn, even 20 year old Glenn kind of knows that's not going to happen. And it's not really a good idea. I mean, if you give me a shot, yes. Yes. You're also not mentioning not nearly enough talent. for it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But the beautiful thing about urges is they don't need to be realistic. That's, that's right. what's lovely about appetites. Yeah. yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. Um, so you got 20 year old Glenn and he's got an urge, he's got an appetite, but he's aware that's, that's not, it's not a good idea and it's not going to happen. So what are we talking about? But then we actually have a will. There's, there's a thing that I can imagine my life being, and I, and I think that it can be good. And I think that it could be, my parents would respect it and the community would respect it and it would pay a living wage and it's great. Okay. But now we have, we want to bring in this new concept called God's will that God would have a plan and a purpose for Glenn's life. Now, a few things. How did Glenn begin to discover God's plan for Glenn's life? Well, it's one step at a time, right? It wasn't, you know, just one day, thou shalt work in prison ministry. It, It didn't work like that. Glenn got involved in serving people, and he served them in one capacity, and then he served them in a different capacity, and then he served them in a different capacity, and he got more involved, and he got more involved. And over time, that added up to a sense of, I think God has something for me other than being a teacher. Were there some flashes of clarity along the way? Yeah, there were. But they punctuated longer periods of simply trying things and going in a direction that felt like it meant sense. Felt like it made sense. But now here's the interesting Thing. At a certain point, there was, you know what, I figured I'd be a teacher, and that's what I studied to do, and that's what I trained to do, but the Lord is really putting it on my heart that actually he wants me to go and minister to people behind bars. There's a lot of crossover skills between those two, so it's not like any of that preparation was wasted, but they are different things. You know, they, you know there's, there's not, although there is overlap, they are quite different between those two. And Glenn is able to say, you know what, I'm going to surrender my will. I'm going to surrender this desire to to be a teacher and and all the things that would go along with it. And I'm going to embrace this other life that is quite different where I go into prison ministry. All right. That's that's the journey of, roughly speaking, 20-year-old Glenn. All right. Why does all that matter? It matters for a few reasons. The first is Glenn can't set down that desire to be a teacher if he's not willing to admit that he has it. And Glenn also can't be honest about the nature of what God is asking of him if we're kind of combining urges and appetites and Glenn's will for his life into one thing where it's all of the guilt related to the appetite, but then also the plan of the will where I want to be a teacher, but for nefarious rock and roll reasons. I mean, that sounds silly, but when I talk to people who are trying, who are asking this question, that is what they do. They either have no sense of what just they would choose for their own life, which you really can't set down. You can't surrender a will that you won't admit you have, or they have a sense 
of the thing they think they might want to do, but they've decided it must be awful. And we're equating it with a, with a, an unrighteous urge and appetite. And so it's, well, you know, I, I figured I might, you know, be a, you know, a chef in a restaurant, but an evil chef. It's probably the worst desire a human being has ever had. I, I, I've never even heard of an evil chef. I didn't know that was a possibility. Might have signed up for that otherwise. When we demonize our desires unnecessarily, we actually make it harder to turn them over to the Lord. It's, it's a weird thing, but there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a school teacher. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be the chef at a restaurant. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be an auto mechanic. Where humility really comes in is recognizing not that I am just awful and everything I want is intrinsically awful because I want it. No, it's not that. It's recognizing God may have something different in mind, and I'm open to that different thing. But the more that we can be clear about our own will for our own lives, the more we can discern mm-hmm. the differences where God is taking us in a new and unanticipated direction. It's a really great place to start this off. It's exactly the right place to to talk about this, Glenn, right, of understanding what you want out of a thing. That's just yeah. got to be step one, really does. Now, it's it's a little difficult to do that, so that is we don't want to gloss over that and pretend that's mm. an easy thing. But now we get to, I have maybe let's describe it, I have what I want. And now I'm going to try to figure out, is that what is that what God wants for me? It, that's bound to have happened to somebody at some point. It's never happened to me, but I'm a pretty bad person, so maybe there's that. <laughs> yeah. um, is there a negotiation point that we get to something? But I think, and Jed's pointing to it here, it's, People maybe assume it's easier. I don't know if it is, but I think it's an assumption we can work with that I could understand what's bad mm. about this. You right. know, what's what's wrong about it? What where the devil is all up in this? So if people want to understand that, I mean, I've been through, I think we've all had those situations myself. If you know, I have a thing I want, and it's not even a, a bad exercise to try to understand what's wrong with that to try to refine that. Right. But I think as as Jed's pointing to, kind of there. The problem is not that you want to be a school teacher for horrific and nefarious reasons, but there might be something wrong with this plan that Satan's trying to get up in. So if we're going to look for where is Satan in this plan, where would we actually look? Well, I, I think it, we, I would start by looking at um, what is the brave choice, what is the courageous choice, and the, the devil is never pushing that one. <laughs> yeah. That's just—it's a pretty simple measure. So, if you, because you're you're going to have a certain amount of, um, so here's a guy that wants to ask a girl out, and he's conflicted. On one hand, if I ask this girl out, I would really be neglecting my studies, mm. and that's super important. Pretty irresponsible. So that would probably be the irresponsible choice if I if I neglected my studies, or I could ask her out, which I'm super chicken about. So I don't know what to do, man. One of these is chicken. That's you, you, just a hundred percent of the time. The devil's pushing the 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 whatever the chicken out is on this. Now, the idea of I'm not going to ask her out because of my studies. That sounds really holy. So you think anything that sounds holy probably is. Except for my Bible says the devil comes disguised as an angel of light. His favorite temptation is religiosity. That's that's the main thing he's going to be selling you on. So in other words, he he might show you some uh, thing that would inflame your lust... But the point isn't to get you to act on it. It's just to get you to feel guilty that you feel inflamed by the lust. So, you know, this is, we have to understand the nature of what the devil is doing there. But I agree with what, uh, all the stuff that Jed was saying there in terms of this idea of let's onboard and acknowledge and understand what our desires are. Because I, I think, here's the thing with calling and ministry and all these different kinds of things that I think people really misunderstand. If you're not in the religious profession the way we are, if you're if you're just a lay person, you get the mentality going of I need to go to a place where the ministry is set up and happening, and then I plug into the ministry machine, and then I'm doing ministry now. That's not that's not a thing. Uh, most most uh, things set up to be ministry aren't ministry. Unfortunately, they, maybe they were at some point, but that's all died long ago and we're still playing out the motions. If there is a light inside of you that shines, 
it shines to everyone everywhere you go. You know, the Bible says that, you know, light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't extinguish it, right? But it, it's just, if you're in a dark room, you light a candle. It, it. It's not like the darkness is impinging on the light and squashing it. It goes the other way. The light banishes darkness. That's the, the, that this is exactly what the Bible says about you. Whatever you do becomes ministry. Whatever you do is a witness. And, you know, out of that, yes, as Jez is describing, shape, a calling takes shape, but that evolves and it continues to evolve. Yeah. It should not arrive at any point. So, you know, for me, that was. Uh, I want to be a school teacher. I go to do substitute teaching while I'm in college to earn a little extra money. I end up working with uh, kids in uh, in school suspension. These are supposedly the bad kids. I thought they were great. I thought I got along with them great. While I'm doing that, I'm playing music in clubs, and someone says, hey, would you like to do praise and worship behind bars? I thought, that sounds pretty rock and roll, so I'm going to do that. I like playing there better than I like playing in the clubs. These people are a lot more enthusiastic and a lot less drunk, so that's great. And then I find out, well, this clicks with what I found out. We're working with the kids in the in the school that were having problems. All of it, it, it all started coming together, but this was over a period of years. You know, this is little bits and pieces falling into place. Letting that evolve, letting that grow, I think, is the big key. Uh, rather than I need to know what my calling is and then do that and do only that and it, that's my God's will for my life and whatever. Uh, I think it's really important to figure out, if you want to know what God's will is, let's start here. What are you avoiding? Mm. That we got to know. That might be a fear thing. You know, you're afraid of something, is sort of a dread. It could be a guilt thing. It could be a shame thing. It could be sort of a image, self-image thing, self-identity thing, whatever that is, what are you avoiding? Mm-hmm. If I, if you know what you're avoiding, all of a sudden it's going to be a lot easier to see, here's, here's what the Lord is, is pulling me towards, here's what my desires are doing, and there might be some overlap with the positive stuff there that the Lord's calling me to, there might be some overlap with what the devil's, you know, wants to tempt me on, or just stuff that's unhealthy and whatever else it is. I can see this landscape a lot easier. Most of the people I talk to, their main thing is, if I say, okay, what does God want you to do? It's like, well, I don't know, but this is the thing I don't want to do. You know, I don't want it. I don't want this to happen. I don't want that. I don't want to fail out of school. I don't want to have this girl say no when I ask her out. I don't want to, you know, here's all the things I don't want to see happen. So I'm just avoiding everything. And, and now I don't know what to do. Well, that's because there is nothing left to do because you've boxed yourself into a corner with avoiding. Christians don't avoid. We take those things head on, and that's going to allow us to see which direction the Lord wants us to go in. That's all fantastic stuff. And we're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously, and I, I really like the economy of language. It says, how do I maintain focus and keep the faith? And Glenn, I'd love to get you to, to kick us off. I think it's obviously, you know, I've kept the faith. This is a Pauline thing. That's a, that's a good thing. But I think we may be taking some cultural aspects to it when we talk about how much we have to maintain focus. Yeah. Is there something a little hinky in the thinking here, maybe? Well, yeah, I, there there is. I mean, uh, maintaining focus, keeping the faith, this is another thing that is on a scale here. This mm. is, uh, you, if you're thinking of that as binary, then we're going to have problems here. No, no one does a 100% job of keeping the faith any more than in the first question we're talking about self-destruction. That's a tendency, that's an amount, that's a ratio, whatever, however you want to think about that. So here's where we're going to start uh, on improving the way we keep the faith. Um, Let's start by looking at obligations and loyalties. You're trying to maintain your focus. Here's what I see in most people when they have problems maintaining focus, consistent behavior, is they're trying to make too many people happy. All of them are pulling them in opposite directions. They're trying to do what's good. They're trying to do what's right. But they end up so overloaded, they end up saying, screw everybody, I have to do me now. And then that becomes something you know, addictive or negative or destructive or whatever else. But that started with, a lot of obligations going in a lot of directions. I don't know what kind of family that you grew up in, 
I grew up in a family where some of those family members thought the best way to manipulate somebody into doing something for them is to withhold approval. So that's you. I don't approve of you, but you know what? If you jump through this hoop and do this thing for me, then maybe I'll give you the approval. And of course, that's that's not going to happen. But they, the the mechanism for that is obligation. It's always, well, I know you know that the Bible says family's the most important thing. It does not say that. And yeah, it's so in there somewhere. You must obey family. And so it does not say that either. You know, it, for this reason, a man will stay with his family. That's right. You know, so this, the, 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 so these loyalties and uh, uh, obligations can really eclipse things. You know, it's tough sometimes to. Uh, I, I, a lot of men get this way with work. Of I can't just tell my boss I need a day off because my wife needs me to just listen to her. You, yeah, you you could do that. That's a thing you can do. He may say no, but you can definitely do it. That's right. Here's another thing. There are other jobs. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's a thing. You know, the, there are other options or other op- opportunities. There may not be other wives because <laughs> uh, look at you. If you're the kind of guy that won't, you know, uh, put his wife ahead of work, you're not going to have a lot of good wives uh, signing up for that. So let's, you know, let's recognize where the lines need to be drawn. And that's important in terms of following the Lord. There, uh, you know, you're going to look around and say, uh, God's calling me to do this, or I need to do this, but this other person needs me to do this. I need to pay these bills. I have all these other things going on. And those things are going to end up talking louder than the Lord by the time you're done looking at all those things. Second thing is, I need to look at uh, fellowship and accountability. If I'm in positive relationships, I'm getting good encouragement going from that, and those people are holding me accountable. And I, when I say accountable, I mean they're saying, are uh, people who are asking me, are you getting rest? Are you do? How's it going with that new hobby? Uh, you know, do you need help with that thing around the house that you said you needed to fix? People are. Uh, helping you uh, keep track of making forward progress on things. Those people should not be asking, did you make sure to go to the family picnic where everyone's dysfunctional and they're going to talk bad about you anyway? That's not that's not what a good friend holds you accountable to. It might be more the opposite. But getting that fellowship and that accountability is now going to shift everything. Now, here's the, the picture I'm trying to create with all this. It's the idea of creating a contrast. You have healthy stuff and unhealthy stuff in your life. People have who, people who have problems uh, staying on track and uh, maintaining their focus and all that, they're letting all of this mush together, the positive stuff and the negative stuff, and just mushes together, and I'm just trying to manage it all. But if you separate these out, where you have really healthy relationships, where you're putting a lot of time and energy in that, and you're taking a lot of direction from that, when you're in those kinds of relationships and your 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 loyalties and your obligations are fixed on that, and then you go to something dysfunctional, the contrast is way stronger. It's like, wait, why why are you dealing with me so differently than these healthy, normal, encouraging people? Yeah. That contrast will teach you what you need to know about moving forward. If you don't have that time with the positive people, and if you don't create the separation and make some boundaries. It all mushes together. You don't get that sense of where the boundary lines are, what's healthy, what's unhealthy. So it turns out that having a fellowship is really critical to making all that work. It's an amazing point. It's one that's not, I think, talked about enough. We talk a lot, uh, both on the show, hopefully at the bridge, about how uh, if there's whatever's going wrong in your spiritual life, one of the first places you can look to see if this is if causing it, one of the first places we would is fellowship. It's it's a it can cure a lot of things and it causes a lot of problems when it's not there. And Jed, I'd love to get you to close us out by continuing what Glenn was talking about there. That idea of focus. I yeah. think that's a, a profoundly misunderstood thing. Yeah. In the sense of like so many issues, there is what focus actually is, how it actually can be a benefit. We're not we're not here to talk down about focus, but. But then there's also what maybe we assume going in having being focused would feel like and what that emotional experience would be, which I think for a lot of people looks like 
focusing and then just never stopping. Yeah. And that's that's a crazy pants way to live, would it not be? <laughs> it, it really would. Yeah, if you if you look at enough motivational calendars, uh two words that come up a lot are focus uh, and motivation. I want to be focused, I want to be motivated. And we very rarely define either of those words or talk about how they work. It's hard to be generally focused because you have to be focused on something. Uh similarly, yeah, I want to be motivated. To do what? Because is, is typically there's an object to the attached to the motivation. So there's that. So let's look at a few things about focus. The first it would be that it's hard to ha- be generally focused. You, you need to be focused on something. So now, of course, the immediate Christian answer is, "I want to be focused on Jesus." You know what? That's actually good. That that is better than just "I want to be focused." We can refine it, but we'll come back to that. So, but we need a target for the focus. So that's a, that's a good first thing. The next is to recognize no one decides I will now be focused and just remains focused. There's no such thing as that. Focus is a decision you have to keep on making. Depending on what you're working on, that could be. Weekly, it could be daily, it could be hourly, it could be every five minutes, but we don't just set focus and then we're always focused from then on out. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Uh, we, we need to keep on making that decision. And the, the next thing is the more specific we can be about the focus, the better. So, you know, I want to be focused on the Lord. Okay, that is good. That's a, that's a good start. Do you want to be focused on your relationship with the Lord? Because that might be even better. Do you want to be focused on the things that are holding back your relationship with the Lord? That would be even better than even better. That would be super, super great. And here's part of why. The more specific that we can be about the thing we're focusing on, the more we can land on goals that we can actually do and go after and achieve. And if we'll do that, we'll get great results and it will help with the focus. I'm going to give you an example of what I mean. So you could say, I want to be focused on the Lord. That's cool. It's, it's better than not. Um, you could say, I want to be focused on my relationship with the Lord. Well, again, that's that's a good thing. That's a, a good area of focus. But really, really good is I want to be focused on the things that are causing problems in my walk and in my life. All right, now we're, we're really off to the races. Let's pick one. Let's pick one that's really kicking your butt. Let's say it's anger, just for a second. All right, here's what's cool. We've decided I'm going to focus for this season. I'm focused on anger. I'm just focused on it. All right, cool. What are the goals associated with that? What are we, what are we doing? Well, a good goal, I'm going to give you the first one, is you know what I'm going to do? This week, I'm going to set aside 10 minutes every day, and I'm just going to read everything in the Bible about anger. I just want to know everything that it has to say about anger. Now, a few things. First of all, you can totally do that. That is an achievable goal. Second, it's it's a short-term goal, which is really good. It's not, I'm going to read 10 minutes of my Bible every day from now on, which may not be achievable, but it's for this week, you can set aside the time you can do it. It's an achievable goal. The next is you'll actually get something out of it. It would be really good for you to know everything the Bible says about anger. And here's the best part. When you've done it, you know you've done it. You could you could like make a little cross on your calendar for each day that you did it. And at the end, you count up seven crosses and you did it. You set a goal. You were focused on it. You were focused on achieving that goal. And then you did it. You achieved the goal. You will feel good about this, which you should. That's something to feel good about. You'll feel proud of yourself, which is good. And you'll have this amazing thing, momentum. Few forces in the world are more powerful than momentum. And here's why momentum matters. Momentum helps you do things you'd rather not do. All right? So let's keep on with our example. He said, okay, I read everything in the Bible about anger. I definitely get the sense that man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I also definitely get the sense I've got a lot of it. and I've got some momentum. You know, I've heard people talk about talking with a counselor, and that can really help. Now, that sounds scary, and I really don't want to do it, but I could do it, and I've got some good momentum right now. Maybe I could slingshot that momentum into researching a counselor on Google. And that's what I'm going to do this week. I'm putting it on the calendar, research counselor on Google. And when I've done it, I know that I've done it because it's a concrete, short-term, verifiable goal. And dude, the end of the week, I did it. I'm covered in glory. I was focused and I did the thing and I'm a boss and I've got double momentum. You know what I'm going to do with that double momentum? I'm going to send an inquiry email. 
and find out what's up with this counselor. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it this week. I'm putting it on the calendar. You get to the end of that week, you sent the email. Now you have triple, triple momentum. You are so focused and so motivated and so getting it done. And seriously, that's how you make changes. That's that's how you do it. That's That's what it means to be focused. But all of that works best when you decide, here's what I'm focusing on. Here are the goals, the short-term verifiable goals related to it one at a time where I can stack them up. I can keep deciding. I'm going to be decided to be focused for this week. I'm decided to be focused for this week and I can build something really amazing with that. That is absolutely right. I think that is exactly what we were pointing there about that idea of focus of no one is just focused as Glenn pointed out. And um, to back to the motivational uh, Instagram uh, post that Jed was mentioning earlier, you, you cannot focus on success. You cannot focus on betterment. You have to focus on something you can achieve, and the idea is you line up enough of those, then you get where you're going. And it must be said that in between those are things like going to the movies and having a cookie and going for a walk because no one can be focused all the time. You know, they've done a lot of studies with you know the way people retain information and like with college students kind of studying final stuff, and they would say there's a point. I think the research actually put it like three or four hours where your ability to retain information just dies. It just goes off a cliff. You would be better served going and doing something else, taking a nap, playing a video game, going to something, and then coming back and restarting that cycle. That would actually help you be more focused for more time. But again, we, we're going to get caught in some bad situations if we want that emotional experience of feeling focused, of just being buried in this book and just page turning and scribbling notes until I get it because that's what focus looks like to me when we're in a position, as Jed's saying, where we're building that momentum, where we're getting those results, where we're uh, doing these these good things that, that Glenn gave us on this, it allows you to have real, something real to put in that slot of what I think this should feel like. And when you start doing that, you're going to get to some very cool places. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com, or take out a song from Bridgebox this week. This is our friend from our sister program, The Bridge Loud a very cool track about Jesus speaking to a demon-possessed person. You say, aren't we fully in November, and isn't this kind of a Halloween song? Well, it is, but Thanksgiving songs aren't really a thing. So, And it's a cool track, so you like it now. It's called The Living Dead. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God bless you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, keep listening, or holographic C.S. Lewis Tinkerbell gets it. <laughs> I said my name. Yourself every day.